Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at Aaron's. Rent to own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. State Farm is committed to being your top choice when ensuring the things that matter to you. My Cultura podcast host, Dramos, also believes in the power of financial knowledge. That's why he makes sure to share his financial tips on his podcast, Life as a Gringo. We all deserve to be living the life that we want to live. But how do we do it in a responsible way that we know we can afford it? For me, if I have to buy it on a credit card, if I can't pay that card at the end of the month, I can't afford it. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at es.statefarm.com. State Farm is a proud partner of the My Cultura Podcast Network. The Volume. Looking for a super offer for Super Bowl 58? Well, DraftKings has you covered. New customers can bet on the big game and turn 5 bucks into 200 instantly in bonus bets. The line right now is at San Francisco minus 1.5, but you can bet all sorts of things on the game, even the coin toss, although big shock, it's going to be 50-50 odds there. My brothers and I always place a bunch of bets on the Super Bowl every year. I'm not actually sure what I'm going to do yet, but I'm excited. It should be a great game. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS, that's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 200 instantly in bonus bets, only on DraftKings Sportsbook an official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 58 with code HOOPS. Again, that's H-O-O-P-S. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 888- 789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com football for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gambling resources. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope all of you guys had a great weekend. Got a jam-packed show for you today. We're going to do an instant reaction to the Clippers going into Miami and beating the Heat. Talking a little bit about the hot streak for the Clippers as well as a cold streak for the Miami Heat who have lost eight of their last ten games. After that, the Golden State Warriors. Here's a crazy stat for you. They've lost 18 games involving clutch situations, meaning the score was within five 
with less than five minutes left. A big issue for them over the course of this year. They have 25 losses and 18 of them have involved clutch situations. So we're going to do a deep dive into that after they wasted a 60-point effort from Steph Curry in Atlanta against the Hawks. And then after that, as we always do on Monday, we're going to update our power rankings. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. It would mean a lot to me if you guys would take a second to scroll down and hit that subscribe button. Don't forget about our podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts under Hoops Tonight. It's also super helpful for us if you guys take a couple of, uh, of seconds to rate and review the podcast. That would mean a lot to me as well. Don't forget about our Twitter feed at underscore Jason LT. That's where I put film breakdowns in the morning as well as show announcements. And then last but not least, keep dropping mailbag questions in the YouTube comments. We're going to hit a mailbag on Wednesday, it looks like this week. And got a jam-packed week tomorrow morning. I've got a show that we're going to do going over the five biggest trades that I want to see this season. Then we will actually be going with Colin Cowherd Tuesday night. Uh, uh, for the first time this season. So obviously, as you guys remember last year after the Super Bowl, we went pretty regularly with Colin. We're going to be starting that back up again. That's going to be fun. And then we'll be live on YouTube right after the trade deadline on Thursday as well, reacting to what hopefully will be a a more interesting trade deadline than what the last couple of weeks have looked like ever since the Pascal Siakam trade. So jam-packed week, excited, but let's get into Clippers heat. So The biggest thing that stood out to me from this particular game, and and it's been something that stood out all season, and this is going to be a theme that I talk about. The idea of like basketball characters is a is a concept that I talk about on the show. And to me, that is like the 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 little intangible kind of like effort, energy, focus, discipline, competitiveness things that I think bear out over the course of an 82 game season and are typical hallmarks for a team that goes on to win an NBA championship. Like if you if you look back through NBA history, it's like last year the Denver Nuggets were the one seed in the Western Conference. Like we we talk about teams like the Lakers and the Warriors teams that can have potential to go on a playoff run, but like the team that kind of wallows around in mediocrity during the regular season typically doesn't win. That's just what NBA history tells us. That doesn't mean it can't happen. Obviously, it's not impossible. It's just extremely unlikely. And NBA history tells us typically not, right? And you can go further back. The Warriors, they were right up there with the Phoenix Suns at the trade deadline. And then Steph Curry hurt his foot. And that's why they ended up a little bit lower in the standings. But they were consistently one of the best teams in that regular season. They were 45-19 and when Steph Curry uh, played. The Bucks were a one seed. The Lakers were a one seed. The Raptors were a two seed. So this is why we look at these uh, these trends over the course of the regular season. It's important to talk about what works in the regular season and what doesn't, what translates in those, those specific kind of like X's and O's things. But in the bigger picture, if you're not actually trying to build championship character over 82, typically you'll run into some trouble. And we're on an extended stretch here from the Clippers where they've been the best team in the league since November 17th. They are 30 and eight. That is the best record in the league over that span. That's basically ever since they started 0 and six right after the Harden trade, they have been the best team in the league. They're just one game back of the number one seed in the Western conference. They're trending heavily in that direction. So this is the Clippers are paying their dues and you can see it. Like this is a random road game against the Miami heat, a tough team to play well coached, always does the right thing, right? They're gritty. They get games down into the mud and and try to expose your weaknesses. And it'd be so easy to just bring a lackadaisical effort and, 
and do the bare minimum to try to win that game or maybe punt a game like that. But like, no, I'm watching this game and Paul George is like, like just contending on the perimeter against Terry Rozier, getting up in his business and, and applying back pressure and disrupting the basketball. He was switching on to Bam at a bio and a transition cross match and getting a stop in the post. I'm seeing James Harden wall up Jimmy Butler in a post up and stripping him clean underneath the basket, like from the top down, from the stars all the way down the roster. These guys are so, so, so locked in on the details. And I think that kind of stuff matters. And, and when you when you look at it juxtaposed with some of these other teams where it's like this consistent theme of like conserving energy and like managing your, your the regular season and just trying to survive it versus attacking it. And NBA history tells us it's usually the talented veteran team that attacks the regular season that runs away with it at the end of the day. And the Clippers, again, they've got some question marks. They're not a good defensive rebounding team. They rely heavily on pull-up jump shooting. They have some of those things that, that, that could concern you but they're doing everything they can, at least within what's in their under their control, to maximize themselves within this season. They held Miami to just six points from about the 10-minute mark of the fourth quarter to about the four-minute mark of the fourth quarter. On the other end of the floor, James Harden got his step-back three going. He had three step-back threes, including one going to his left, which is one you don't see too often from James Harden. Two of them were and ones. James Harden's actually been the very best pull-up shooter in the league this year. He's getting 1.17 points per pull-up jump shot. That's a 59% effective field goal percentage. There are 29 players in the NBA who have logged at least 250 pull-up jump shots this season. James Harden is in first place in this group. So remember, that was where we saw that right around 60-61% effective field goal percentage. That's where we saw Steph Curry and Kevin Durant last year. Both of those guys are down this year. James Harden up at that 59% is actually at the highest mark in the league at volume. Another big guy who made a big, uh, a big offensive contribution during that run there at the beginning of the fourth quarter was Norman Powell because the, the Heat actually took briefly a lead there, uh, Haywood Highsmith had a layup that put him up by one in the early fourth quarter, and then the Clippers went on this defensive run, and James Harden was hitting a step back three, and then Norman Powell made a couple of plays out of closeouts in the left corner. He had a pull up three or a catch and shoot three, I should say, and then a one dribble pull up, kind of ripping through to his right, and next thing you know, they're up by thirteen. And just like James Harden has been the best pull-up shooter in the league, Norman Powell has been the very best spot up player in the league this year. He's getting one point three eight points per possession. There are 32 players in the NBA this year that have logged at least 200 spot-up possessions, and he's first place on that list. And like Again, there's a big difference between looking at spot-up possessions versus just catch-and-shoot shooting. A catch-and-shoot jump shot is an important part of being able to attack a closeout because that's the only thing. If you can demonstrate that you can knock that shot down consistently, that's what will get the defender closing out at you hard. But I talk about high-level closeout attacking all the time because against the very best defenses in the league, they're typically going to take away most of your open catch-and-shoot opportunities, especially for your best shooters. And then from there, if you beat a closeout, so if a guy chases you off the line and you rip past him to the right or to the left, usually help the defense is going to come over and take away anything for you at the rim. And so a lot of times that high-level closeout attacking is the ability to make a shot that's in between that catch-and-shoot and the drive 
drive and kick or the driving layup. And like Norman Powell has just been the very best player in the league this year at not just hitting those catch and shoot threes, but reading that closeout defender and slashing off of it and making plays in the middle, like 1.38 points per possession. Think about how insane that is. That's another level of, but like uh, Michael Porter Jr. last year was one of the best in the league and he was below 1.3. So that goes to show you just how insanely good Norman Powell has been in those spot up situations this year. But like by the time Kawhi got back into the game in the middle of the fourth quarter, they were already up 13. Game was basically over at that point. Miami made a little, little kind of fake late run, but they never truly threatened. And then they get out of Miami with the win. And like, again, it is a tough balance between conserving energy and building good habits. But in my opinion, it is better to aggressively attack the regular season. Obviously I'm not saying play hurt. I'm just saying bringing effort and energy rather than trying to conserve effort and energy is the way to prepare yourself for what is the impossible grind of the NBA playoffs to win four times out of seven winning in these two week chunks, beating a team four times out of seven and then turning around and doing it again and then turning around and doing it again and then turning around and doing it again against increasingly more difficult opponents. It's a grind. You don't get to take your time and load manage during that stretch. And so, again, like actually preparing your body for that type of grind over the course of the regular season, but above and beyond that, even to just the habits and the the continuity with your lineups, the the discipline to actually make the right decision on both ends of the floor within your scheme, it is an important part of that. And I've just been so impressed by the Clippers this year. They they've they've just completely and utterly attacked this regular season since the James Harden trade, especially unusual considering some of the older veteran players on that roster. Kawhi's MVP case is starting to gain steam. Again, like we talked about, 30-8 and eight since November 17th, best record in the span uh, uh, over that span. Kawhi's only missed four games all season, shooting 53% from the field, 45% from three, 89% from the line. That's 64% in true shooting percentage. That is the highest mark of his career. He's also having the best defensive season he's had in years. As a matter of fact, he's getting 2.6 stocks per game. That's steals plus blocks. That's the most he's had in a single season on average since he was uh, with the San Antonio Spurs. So you're getting a more engaged defensive version of Kawhi, another big element of having James Harden to help with the ball handling load. And then it's showed up in the numbers. The Clippers are 12 points per 100 possessions better when Kawhi is on the floor versus off the floor. Now, will he win the MVP? It remains to be seen. The biggest thing that works against him on that front is that the Clippers do have a lot of talent. And when you look around and you see, you know, James Harden and Paul George on the court, a lot of times that can kind of sway voters. But Kawhi's playing some of the best basketball of his career and very much belongs in that conversation. And if they keep winning at this rate, I think he has a very good chance to win it. But uh, Zubak's coming back now. Uh, he played, uh, came back on a minutes restriction. It looked like last night's game. Amir Coffey is another guy I wanted to shout out. It's just another example of like kind of a useful two-way wing that they have coming off the bench. Can really shoot the basketball and is a good athlete. It has some good length and brings some speed to that perimeter um, defense core that, that that they're already so deep in. Again, their only red flag really is that they still struggle with defensive rebounding and they just rely really heavily on pull-up jump shooting. And so that just adds some variance when they get to the postseason. On the Miami front, they've now lost eight out of 10 games. They just cannot score the basketball right now. They have a 107.8 offensive rating over this 10-game span. That's 29th 
in the NBA. Only the Grizzlies have been worse over the last 10 games. And that's despite Jimmy Butler being awesome. Jimmy Butler's shooting 58% from the field and 58% from three over this span. But Jaime Jaquez has been slumping a little bit since he came back from his injury. Tyler Harrow has been uh, shooting below 40% over this span. Terry Rozier, since joining the Heat, 33% from the field, 22% from three. So, like, they're just struggling outside of that Jimmy Butler position. Bam Adebayo has only given you, like, 16 points a game over this span. And, you know, some of this is to be expected because when you add a new kind of ball handler into the group, it just disrupts the flow of everybody. And so some of that just needs to be sorted out. Like, do I think Miami is going to be this bad on offense this long? Probably not. Right. But they're also not shooting particularly well. Like as a team, they're shooting just 34% from three over this 10 game span. That's bottom five in the league over that stretch. So like a lot of it will turn around. I think just as they get a little bit more used to playing with each other, there's they've added legitimate offensive firepower here. And I do expect this team to be a better offense in the long run. That said over the span, they're also 22nd in defense and 21st in rebounding. So a little bit of a slump here. This, this kind of thing can happen. And we see this like, like we were just talking about it with the Sacramento Kings, like for most of January, they were pretty mediocre. And then all of a sudden in the last couple of weeks, they're kind of snapping back into form. This time of year, you see lots of ebbs and flows in teams, especially teams that have made it to the playoffs before and can struggle a little bit with motivation over the course of the regular season. I can never be out on the Miami Heat, but they're definitely playing some bad basketball right now. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It is an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and number one pick in the 2010 NBA Draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. CJ will bring his A-list comedian buddies to keep it light and fire off some hoops takes. Plus, John will be inviting current and former NBA players, friends, and teammates to join the show as well to give their unfiltered accounts of what really goes on in the league from a player's perspective. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Tired of restless nights? Meet Lisa, the sleep expert. <sighs> Here at Lisa, we know that good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. That's why their mattresses are made for exceptional comfort and support, catering to every sleep need. Check out Lisa's Sapira Hybrid Mattress, named best hybrid mattress five years running. Sleep hot. 
The Chill Collection is built with cool-to-the-touch top fabric and layers of high-density comfort foams, all intended to remove excess body heat while maximizing comfort. With Lisa, getting a new mattress has never been easier. Delivery is free, and you have 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. Don't spend another night dreaming of better sleep. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com forward slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. That's l-e-e-s-a.com forward slash iHeart. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. All right, let's move on to the Golden State Warriors. So they uh, the Warriors waste an absolute heater. From Steph Curry losing in Atlanta in overtime. Steph had 60 points. He was just absolutely barbecuing DeJounte Murray down the stretch of this game. Was killing him in pick and roll. Was killing him in ISO there. After he got going, stopped calling for the ball screen. And basically just dribbled up into like a high hesitation. It would just, if DeJounte was giving him space, he'd step back. If he wasn't, he would just go right around him. He was uh, uh, scoring at the rim. He was scoring from three. The, the shot he had that should have been the go-ahead shot in the final minute was like a floater after he split a ball screen uh, with DeJounte Murray. He was unbelievable down the stretch of this game, and he's fully back in form now. His last five games, Steph, 39 points per game, 53% from the field and 46% from three, has not missed a free throw. So Steph, whatever slump he was in there in the middle of the season seems to be coming out the other side of that. But the Warriors still lost that game. And why is that? For two reasons. They couldn't get a stop. They had a 171 defensive rating in seven minutes of clutch basketball against Atlanta. They were really struggling with Trey Young and ball screens. They tried guarding him straight up just with like a traditional coverage. Jonathan Kaminga was struggling with screen navigation. He lost Trey Young for a three. Then they started blitzing the ball screen. Trey was like just dribbling around the blitzer and getting downhill into the lane and making floaters. Then they started trying doubling him at half court. And they just made quick reads out of it on the back end to get baskets in those four on threes. Draymond Green in particular was kind of struggling splitting the difference between Trey's floater and getting back to Anyeka Okongwu at the basket. And he actually lost him on layups a couple of times and then also gave up a couple offensive rebounds. So like that that to me is 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 less on Draymond and more on the perimeter defense. When your screen defender is constantly having to navigate two places at once, you're putting him in no man's land, and that's just a really difficult place to play defense. And one of the biggest issues for the uh, for the Warriors right now is they're really really struggling to contain the ball. This is a big part of why you know uh, uh, Steve Kerr has talked about Gary Payton the second and how like he specifically is one of the most important elements coming back post-trade deadline is because they just need a guard that can actually stay in front of some of these guys. It's like you go with Brandon Pajemski, he's just not quite uh, 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 athletic enough, right? You go with Andrew Wiggins, it comes with all these offensive limitations that he's been showing as of late. And so having Gary Payton back could go a long way to help him there. But they just really, really struggled defensively against Atlanta, and that's a bigger picture issue that we'll get to in a second. But the second reason that they fell apart against Atlanta, and this is something I've been talking about all season, nobody aside from Steph can contribute offensively for them inside of these moments. You probably thought watching that game that the Warrior offense was great down the stretch, right? Because Steph was sitting all those damn shots. Nope, they had a 100 offensive rating in seven clutch minutes, and a big part of that is they went cold in overtime. But again, when you're relying on one guy to score and no one else can... When that guy finally starts missing shots or the defense starts to get the ball out of his hands, if you can't capitalize on the back end, you're going to struggle. And like, if you look at juxt, like, again, that game is a perfect juxtaposition with Trey, and it's Trey's killing you in pick and roll, but then 
Bojan Bogdanovic just like or Bogdan Bogdanovic just like hits a really nice uh, step back jumper going to his right along the baseline, right in Draymond's face, perfectly defended, just knocks down the shot. Dejounte Murray got his revenge after Steph cooked him because tied the game in regulation with the pull up jumper. Jumper hit a few more pull up jump shots in overtime. You're getting significant offensive contribution alongside Trey Young. That just makes it that much easier. Basketball is all about versatility, not predictability. You need to, it's not about being amazing at one thing. You've got to be able to win in different ways. You have to be able to defend in different ways with different coverages and you have to be able to score in different ways because it doesn't matter if the Steph Draymond ball screen is getting you a few step back threes with a few minutes left in the fourth quarter. If they make an adjustment, they start to chase him off of that shot. You got to have something else you can go to at that point. The Warriors have now lost 18 games involving clutch situations. That's the second most in the entire league. Only the Pistons, Spurs, and Raptors are behind them, all having lost 19 games in clutch time. They have a 116 offensive rating. That's very mediocre. And they have a 115 defensive rating. That's very mediocre. And again, this is the concerning part. This is despite Steph Curry being amazing in clutch situations. Think about this. This is crazy. If you take Steph Curry's scoring in clutch situations and you extrapolate it out to a per 36 metric, meaning if you basically looked at the way he's playing in crunch time and turned it into a player who plays 36 minutes a game, he's scoring at a rate of 50 points per 36. He's literally like Wilt Chamberlain in terms of box score production at the end of these games. Think about how insane that is. He has 47 made field goals in clutch time this year. Second place is Mikhail Bridges at 35. He's 12 more made field goals in clutch time than anybody else in the league. He's shooting 52% uh, from the field in those situations, 49% from three, 97% uh, uh, from the line. And only one warrior has given him double-digit clutch made field goals in support this year, Clay Thompson. He's made 12 out of 41 shots. That's 29% from the field. It's it's become their biggest issue this season. They constantly end up in close games, and they can't guard, and they can't give Steph any support. And, like, zoom out a little bit. Like, think about how frustrating this season has been for Warriors fans. You have 25 losses. 18 of those 25 losses were in uh, uh, in crunch time. Am I right about the 25? It might even be 26. I'm going to double check real quick. Um, yeah, 25 losses, 18 of them have been in crunch time. So like imagine just just thinking in, 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 in the perspective of the standings right now, you're six games back of the Suns to be out of the play-in. Like if, if instead of losing 18 of those games, you lost 15 of those games, you're now three games closer to your three games out of being out of the plan. See how big of a difference that can make? It's a significant issue. And like, it's a defense and rebounding issue too. Like we've talked about, they give up an offensive rebound on 39% of their opponents misses in clutch situations. 39%. Like if that means if they get 10 stops in a five minute stretch, they're giving up four offensive rebounds. And, and, and like, Kerr has started to go small at the end of these games. Like he's, it used to be that he'd kind of go with Wiggins. Now he's kind of going with Brandon Podzemski a lot in these situations. And I get it, like, because Wiggins has been struggling so much offensively, although he started to get it going there for a while. He had a rough game against Atlanta. But like, my thing is, like, it's not like you're leaning on Podzemski offensively much anyway. So, like, why not just give yourself a bigger physical profile? 
why not put Wiggins out there just to have give yourself a better chance to hold up physically? I I continue to say that I would lean into Steph Clay, Wiggins, and uh, Kaminga and Draymond. And one of the things too, Jonathan Kaminga this year is seven for thirteen in crunch time. So like he hasn't really had much opportunity, but he's scored when he has been given that opportunity. He drew a foul and a, a post up uh, a down the stretch against Atlanta. I would. I, I would be looking to try to get somebody else involved a little bit more frequently so that when Steph kind of cools off or when they take the, the ball out of his hands, someone else has an is an option available for them to go to. All right, moving on to our power rankings. So much more positive this week <laughs> compared to last week. Like most of the top teams lost one game, but then won the rest of their games. We did have two teams dropping out. The Philadelphia 76ers, they've lost five out of six. Also, big picture trends here. After their eight and one start, they're just twenty-two and seventeen for the season. They're just ten and eleven against teams that are five hundred or better. So, like a lot of it has been easy schedule for them in terms of where they're at in the standings. They have a really tough schedule down the stretch this season, and now Joel Embiid is out for an undetermined amount of time due to knee surgery. So, obviously, like um, uh, we were already starting to see some of these trends form, and now they're in a really tough spot with where they're at with the remaining schedule and with Joel Embiid missing at least what at least a month of that, if not longer. Now, on the Joel Embiid injury front, sounds like it's going to depend entirely on how the surgery goes. Like it looks like he could be back in time for the playoffs, or he could be done for the season. And in a lot of ways, it kind of simplifies their deadline strategy because it looked for a while there like. They might need to be a little bit more aggressive to try to bring in some firepower, but now there's no re, uh, no need to overpay or to like kind of rush that process. You can kind of take your time with it, give the keys to Tyrese Maxey, let him run the show here down the stretch of the season, see what he's got there, see what find out more about his development over the course of this stretch when he doesn't have a pick and roll partner the likes of Joel Embiid. It's going to be a hard challenge for him, but you're going to find out a lot more about him. And what he can mean for you as a foundational piece, whether or not he's good enough to be your second best player, or if you're better served for him to be your third best player, you can learn a lot. And hell, if you find a good deal around this deadline, you could jump on it, but you don't have to be the desperate team. And that could give them some flexibility. I personally hope Joel Embiid can come back because I want to see him overcome this playoff challenge that he's been dealing with at this phase of his career. I think he has the potential to be the best player in the world. So I'm hoping that he gets a good outcome from his knee surgery and that he can come back and make a run before the end of the season. But this does simplify some of the urgency surrounding Philly because it's no longer just like a kind of like a clear runway into the playoffs like you would hope for in a season like this. And then the other team that's dropping out for me is the Indiana Pacers. They've lost eight of their last 13 games. They've lost three in a row against good teams this week. The offense has been mediocre. The defense has been bad. The rebounding has been worse. We'll dive a little bit more into the Pacers here in the next couple of weeks. But the upside there, They've had 187 possessions with Tyrese Halliburton and Pascal Siakam on the floor together. And in those possessions, they are outscoring teams by 16 points per 100 possessions, a 128 offensive rating, which is like insane off the charts good, and a 113 defensive rating, which is perfectly fine. It's not great, but it's better than what they've been most of this season. So without any further ado, let's get to our power rankings. Number 10. The Sacramento Kings, they finally seem to have gotten over their January slump. They've won six out of seven games, mostly on the road. They're also ninth in defense over that span and 10th in defensive rebounding. There's been a pretty consistent theme this year that when the Sacramento Kings actually commit to the defensive end, they win. It's literally that simple. As a matter of fact, here's a stat for you. When the Kings have held their opponents to 110 or fewer points this year, they are 11-3. 
and then they are 18 and 16 in all of their other games. So that's a trend to keep an eye on the rest of the way. Very, very, very much uh, something that I'm sure Mike Brown has been preaching to them throughout the season. Number nine, the Milwaukee Bucks. So after losing to the Jazz last night, Bucks are now one in three since Doc Rivers became their head coach. But it's been the offense that's failed them. I actually think their defense, statistically, it's been right where it was before the coaching change, right around a 116 defensive rating. But on tape, I actually am seeing some strides, especially from the guards and just overall commitment. I just think they ran into some bad matchups, like Denver's the defending champion. Utah and Portland are super young and have super fast guards, which are like specific matchup issues for Milwaukee. Um, it's the offense that has failed them over this span. They have typically, are, they're around a 120 offensive rating. They're at a 114 since Doc Rivers took over. Dame was 5 for 18 again last night. He just continues to just put these really putrid shooting nights up. And So I'm not really worried about their offense in the long run. So I think this is more of just like a, a brief stretch of offensive slumping alongside with some bad matchups that have kind of caused that 1-3 and three start under Doc Rivers. I tend to agree with Giannis. I know it's not pretty, but I do think better times are on the horizon for the Bucks. Number eight, the Phoenix Suns rejoining our power rankings. Uh, Bradley Beal had 43 last night in a win against the Washington Wizards. He's been in the lineup for 20 straight games now, and the Suns are 14 and six in those games. And they actually won a game against Houston right before that. So they're 15 and six in their last 21 games. Fifth best record in the league over that span. That's a fourth of the season. That's a hefty chunk of games. They are also second in offensive rating over that span and 14th in defense. Pretty respectable there. Uh, defensive rebounding still a little bit of a struggle for them. I think they're 23rd over that span. Devin Booker also fully back to his superstar form. Last 13 games, 32 points, five rebounds and six assists, 54% from the field, 40% from three and 87% from the line. Number seven, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Had a bad loss in Detroit, and then they dropped a tough one to Minnesota where Anthony Edwards and Carl Towns kind of just out-executed them down the stretch, and their their offense stalled against a very, very good Minnesota defense. But they did get back on track against the Nuggets without Jokic. They're actually 3-1 and one against the Nuggets this year. And then they beat Charlotte and Toronto as well. The Toronto game in particular was encouraging because Chet Holmgren, Josh Giddy, and Lou Dort all kind of got back on track after they'd been slumping for a little while. And Chet, in particular, has been on track for about three games now. He's hit 10 threes in his last three games. He's averaging just under 20 points per game, nine blocks over that span, and double-digit plus-minus in all three of those games uh, in, in terms of the positive. So Chet seems to be getting it back together, got over that little slump that he was dealing with there in January. Number six, the Cleveland Cavaliers. Undefeated week. Lighter stretch of their schedule, but they did on Monday notch a big win over uh, against the Clippers. Really, really good defensive effort. Really contained Paul George well. Really contained James Harden well. Got out in transition. We did a whole deep dive, not just on that game, but on everything going on with the Cavs with Carter Rodriguez from the Chase Down podcast last week on Wednesday. Went for like 45 minutes. It was, it was a long pod. We did a lot of, uh, of deep dive analysis on the Cleveland Cavaliers. So make sure you check that out a little bit further back on our feed. Number five, the Minnesota Timberwolves. So Chris Finch got on them the other night after losing to Orlando, uh, talking about forming some bad habits and, and t behaving like a 500 team. And if you zoom out, they're like, it's it's actually kind of funny because I actually look at this as like classic coaching, just like really good motivational coaching, trying to like just stay on his team. Because you got to think like Minnesota has been outstanding all season. And they have some specific things that bode really well for them for the postseason. They have a huge front line. They're an elite defensive team. They've got a 
tier one superstar and in, in or at least a guy who could be a tier one superstar and Anthony Edwards that can is pretty much unguardable in terms of getting to his spots it's primarily decision making and settling for him he's got a little bit of the Jason Tatum itis where it's like he is the best athlete on the floor but just takes a million pull-up jump shots and he's not particularly efficient with them but like really it's been all it's been mostly good and I think what happens is you end up in a stretch like this where it's Late January, early February, you drop a couple games you shouldn't have lost, right? Like they lost to Charlotte. That shouldn't happen. Losing to Orlando at home probably shouldn't happen. Losing to San Antonio probably shouldn't happen. But they've been really, really good. They were really good against a tough schedule for a month before that. This is just classic coaching. Got to stay on top of your guys. Got to keep them motivated. Make them feel like they're in danger even when they're not. And that's the best way to get a group to kind of do what the Clippers are doing, which is just attack every single regular season game to make uh, to maintain their habits. One concern, their offense kind of fell apart again late in the game against Orlando. Uh, now, like... Part of that's Orlando has this ridiculous defensive punch. And when they really lock in, they can be tough to score on. But zoom out. So one of my biggest concerns for the Timberwolves all season has been their late game execution. They are 27th in fourth quarter offensive rating this season. It's been a major point of concern for me in terms of their playoff potential. Number four, the New York Knicks. Injuries ended their nine-game winning streak against the Los Angeles Lakers, who actually have been playing some decent basketball as of late. Julius Randle hurt his shoulder. Then OG Ananobi had some elbow inflammation. I actually have a funny story about this. When I was living in Charlotte, so this would have been like 2017, uh, I, I, I will never forget, we we played in like a, a men's league game, and the game went fine. There was no issue, but I woke up the next morning, and I went to the gym to go shooting. And I, I start my shooting workout just going around the world, uh, um, just like shooting from block to block to the foul line. It's just a way to kind of like warm up my elbow. And like I went to shoot from the elbow in my, I just felt this like excruciating pain in my right elbow. And it ended up turning into this huge deal. I had to wear like a brace for a while. It was like really bad inflammation. I think it might've actually been tennis elbow, but like it was gnarly and it like straight up made me stop playing basketball for like a couple of weeks. So like when I saw that, I was like, Oh, I hope OG's not dealing with what I had uh, back when I was in Charlotte. Cause that like legit messed with my jump shot for like the better part of like six months to a year. So I I'm hopeful that they just get in front of that and just let his elbow, whatever that inflammation is subside because it's more important for him to be ready to go for the postseason. I think we've already seen enough from this stretch since OG Ananobi joined the team to know that they've got a real physical imposition that they can bring to the table, that they are a real playoff threat. So there's no reason to force it back. Take your time, get healthy. Um, Jalen Brunson last 10 games, by the way, 33 points per game, four rebounds and seven assists on 52, 37, 84 splits. So Jalen Brunson playing at a superstar level right now. He's phenomenal in that Lakers game was drawing uh, crazy double teams. That was the only way the Lakers won was basically just uh, a gimmick defense, uh, getting the ball out of his hands as obviously New York was playing with lesser players. Um, But he was incredible down the stretch of the Indiana Pacers game as well. Kind of insane how much of a hit uh, Jalen Brunson was as a free agent signing and how it changed really the fortunes of that franchise. Number three, the Boston Celtics, couple hard-fought wins against the Pelicans and Pacers, and then they drop a game to the Lakers without LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And offense has been the main issue in their losses, a 105 offensive rating against Milwaukee, 
a 99 offensive rating against the Clippers, a 109 offensive rating against the Lakers. And the big thing here is they've just leaned into uh, into variance. They're attaching the fate of their season to variance. They attempt 43 threes for 100 possessions. That is by far the most in the league. And when they go in, they beat the hell out of you. And when they're not going in, they can be beat. And it's a little. I just would like to see them add a little bit more variety to the way that they attack instead of leaning so heavily on driving kick basketball and just hunting three-point shots whenever they can just because I think it would give them a little bit more offensive resilience. And I would look at some of these down offensive games, especially against quality opponents, as part of the concern there because it's very clear that shooting is contagious for Boston. When they lose their confidence, when teams can kind of get them into one of those rough shooting nights, they kind of sulk and it almost gets worse for them from there. And like having another punch you can go to is actually a great way to mitigate a rough shooting night. If you can lean into a different offensive identity, whether it's heavy, heavy Jason Tatum in the post or whether it's a, you know, uh, uh, of going to Porzingis in the post or leaning more into pick and pop basketball with Porzingis to try to get more advantage situations, like getting out of just leaning on just driving kick threes and tough transition threes, making it so that you have less variance could go a long way towards helping them have a little bit more resilience in those matchups. Number two, the Denver Nuggets. Dropped a game to Oklahoma City without Jokic, but they had an undefe- uh, undefeated week outside of that. Another classic crunch time game against Milwaukee. They completely out-executed them down the stretch, despite Doc Rivers throwing some pretty smart defensive coverages at them to try to mitigate their advantages. The Nuggets now have the best clutch net rating in the league. They're outscoring opponents by 23 points per 100 possessions when the game is within five with less than five minutes left, specifically on the defensive end. They have been the very best clutch defense in the league this year. And then last but not least, number one, the Los Angeles Clippers. They dropped a tough game on the road to that red-hot Cavs team like we talked about earlier, but they bounced back and won the rest of their games. The Clippers, in my opinion, this season, to this point here at February 5th, have showed the best combination of talent and basketball character that I've seen this year. What that means is actual firepower on the roster and commitment to the details from start to finish this season. And I'm not just talking about like playing hard. I'm even talking about playing smart, leaning into their strengths, practicing the things that will lead them home at the end of the day. I, I've been I've been so incredibly impressed by the Clippers. It's 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 starting to look like kind of a like it's starting to look like it's their year in a lot of ways. And at this point, I think they belong at number one in the power rankings. I'm like this close to moving them into that top tier of contenders with Boston and, uh, uh, and Denver. It's, it's just been, it's just been a hell of a year for the Los Angeles Clippers. All right, guys, that is all I have for today. Like I said, we'll be back tomorrow with our five, uh, the five trades that I most want to see this year. And then we're also going to have a show with Colin Coward tomorrow evening. And then don't forget the trade deadline reaction on Thursday afternoon. As always, I appreciate you guys and we will see you then. Let's chat about how to get what you need for your home when you don't have a lot of cash or credit. You can do that at errands. 
rent-to-own appliances, furniture, and tech from top brands like HP, Samsung, and Ashley. But say you don't need it anymore, no problem. At Aaron's, you can return your product at any time or even upgrade it for something new. Life's always changing. With Aaron's, your stuff can change right along with it. Keep it, return it, upgrade it. Aaron's fits your life instead of the other way around. Approval isn't guaranteed, and some restrictions apply. See your local store for details. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's Wee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary.